This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Tom Lambeth, thanks very much for coming back on Talk Your Book, being a regular of the show. Uh, we'll get into your stock pick in a second, but I, I thought if you could start with giving us an overview of VP Capital and, and how you guys look to invest. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. I think VP Capital is a, a long, short fund. Uh, we've been in existence for around four and a half years. Um, our IRR since inception has been circa 25% net of fees. Um, and we're quite opportunistic and, and open-minded with, with how we go about picking stocks. Um, we're, I'd say we're more of a, a medium-term um, house. Uh, we're not sort of day traders, but we're not sort of buy and hold forever either. And we sit here on a day where the market is, uh, is shooting the bed, which is a technical term, Tom. But uh, talk us through your short book. What sort of percentage of, of shorts have you got on at the minute? Um, not enough, Chris. Um, <laughs> um, we're, we're looking at low single digits, um, a gross short. Uh, we, we had been a little bit um, higher than that, but we made the decision to close some. Um, it, it's very hard to, to pick the exact day you know, the market's going to tank. So um, what we try and do is just sort of take a little bit off um, you know, each way and then vice versa on, on the long side. Um, you know, try and take you know um, shares off as they as they appreciate. Um, obviously, it's a difficult market at the moment. So, um, if you're if you're you know net zero, um, you know net long, um, then then you're killed. And if you're net short, then you're, you're loving it. So, and what stock do you want to talk about today? Cooper Energy. And talk me through uh, what what's their business model? Yeah, so Cooper Energy's been around for a while, um, sort of circa twenty years in its current form. Uh, the last sort of 10 years or so, it's, it's really made a strategic um, refocus to, to look at East Coast gas in particular. Um, it was, you know, the name comes from the Cooper Basin, um, used to be really an oil producer um, in joint venture with Beach. Um, and then it did some sort of crazy things early on where it was exploring internationally in, in Tunisia, Romania, uh, Poland. Um, it got out of that racket and, and really made a decision to go after the East Coast gas market, which I think you know, in, in hindsight, it's sort of been vindicated in, in doing so. And so we might dig into the uniqueness of the East Coast gas market in a second, but talk me through where are their gas deposits held and then where are their gas hubs and how do those two assets interact? Yeah, sure. So there's two main assets. Um, there's, there's, really, there's really one. There's, there's the Gippsland Basin, um, which, which has sole gas, and then there's the, the Otways, um, you know, which is sort of a, a minor proportion of their, their revenue, but nevertheless, they, they sort of generate, um, you know, circa, um, you know, Sort of twenty percent of their revenue from from the Otways. So, um, both both sort of gas um, methane production hubs, um, they own one of the gas processing facilities um, in the Otways, one hundred percent, and then they also um, toll treat the other one. Um, so, sole gas is completely toll treated via a facility which is owned by APA, and um, and they pay around four four dollars a gigajoule to have that toll treated um, into the domestic gas market. So, most of it's contracted. Um, Certainly, all of the gas is, is contracted from the Otways, and, um, and and most of the gas from from the Gippsland is contracted. But um, there is there is a, a portion of it which is uncontracted, which is been sold into the spot market, which which makes Cooper, you know, quite an interesting play. And so, what what's so unique about the, the Australian East Coast gas market? Yeah, so I think on the macro side, um, you know, there's been a chronic underinvestment for a long time, and um, you know, on one hand, you've got rising demand domestically um, but also you know don't don't forget we've got the lng facilities in gladstone 
which are exporting all of the Australian domestic gas to, to Asia. And so you've had this crunch um, where now there's a shortage um, you know, of, of, uh, of gas. Now, it's just wild to think about that, isn't it? Like we're one of the biggest gas producers in the world, yet there's a shortage of gas to use in Australia. It's, it's really odd, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's not ideal. I, I think, you know, from a, a policy perspective, you know, you, you'd hope it was, you know, the other way. Um, I, think, I think what's happened is you know, the state governments, um, certainly New South Wales and Victoria, have been um, almost anti-development uh, with respect to for the fossil fuel development. So, you know, New South Wales still has a moratorium on, on onshore, um, you know, gas development. Um, Victoria effectively does as well. We've just, we've made it, you know, technically um, legal as long as you're doing conventional gas um, development, but CSG and fracking is effectively outlawed. And so the only state which allows economic gas development at the moment onshore is really Queensland. Um, and so that's why you've seen, you know, off the ASX list of players, um, as, as small to mid caps like Comet Ridge, you know, Blue Energy, you know, State Gas, um, you know, they're the public ones that are all listed, all their assets are in the Bowen Basin. Um, Looking, looking further abroad, there's obviously the larger uh, companies like Santos and Woodside um, and, and Beach, but you know, they have assets really scattered all over Australia, including onshore and offshore. Um, you know, Cooper itself is, is probably the only pure play listed East Coast gas producer um, where you're getting literally a, almost a one-for-one one, um, you know, bang for your buck um, you know, exposure to the East Coast uh, domestic gas market, which is really what excites us at VP. And talk me through that HPC released report just showing how significant the, the difference was from gas supply on the East Coast to, to demand. Just try and give the viewers a, an indication of just how big that, that differential is and, and how long potentially that, that could last. Yeah, it's, the dynamics are, are fascinating. So when, when you have you know, government bodies and even, even the regulators talked about um, you know, longer gas prices, um, you know, sort of higher gas prices for longer, rather, um, you know, it really does sound the alarm. Um, so to give you, some, you know, sort of some context, the, the long-run uh, historical East Coast gas price has been under $10 a gigajoule. Um, in recent times, it's kind of crept up to $10 a gigajoule in the spot market. It's lower in the contract price market. Um, the ACCC reports talking about, you know, prices that are going to be well north of that. Um, indeed, in the spot market today, we have prices that are forty dollars a gigajoule, um, and, and it's worth noting that that price is actually capped. Um, so the, the regulator has intervened in the market in recent weeks to cap that price at forty dollars a gigajoule. The the true price is actually well north of that. It's in the hundreds of dollars a gigajoule if you just look at supply demand um, fundamentals. Um, and does capping that price, in effect, mean that that difference between the supply and the demand is going to go on for longer because people aren't incentivised to increase supply? Well, that's right. It does re remove the incentive. It's worth noting, though, you have to you know, temper that. In, in the short term, that's driven by, really, the cold winter um, you know, in, in Victoria and in New South Wales. And, and also, uh, some of the coal-fired power stations have been um, sort of shut down for maintenance. So, you know, there's been a refocus on gas, and it's really put a lot of pressure on the system. That said, if you look at the long run trend here, you know, every year you've got a curve which is you know, stepping up. Um, so yes, it may be seasonal, and if you want to criticise what I'm saying, you can say, well, it's all seasonal, and that's you know, to some extent true. But if you look at 22 on 21, and you know, 21 on 20, and so on and so forth, um, the curve that, which is stepping up is just materially higher every time. So we can see a case where 
you could have medium-term gas prices well north of ten dollars a gigajoule. You know, fifteen, twenty. I don't think would wouldn't, you know wouldn't be out of the out of the question at all. So, and do you think we'll get into the the numbers for Cooper in, in a minute? But do you think on a on a broader base, having that differential in energy price, will it lead to manufacturing jobs and things being set up in other states where there's a more reliable, lower cost energy supply? Or do you think businesses wouldn't take that into account when they're when they're setting up? I think possibly. Um, it, it's very hard to. You know, once you've built you know a massive plant like you look at you know Quenos in Victoria, um, you know here in Altona manufacturing plastic, you know that's a that's a massive operation. You know billions of dollars of sunk cost. Um, you know you're probably going to stay here mm. for a while. But you know that said, you know you're right at the margin. Um, those you know call it more um, you know free market states like Queensland will inevitably attract um, you know more jobs um, and and more investment if if they have more of a laissez-faire towards you know, investment. And talk me through the numbers. What's, what's Cooper's market cap? What's their debt profile? Yep, so the market cap's around um, sort of 550. Uh, they have around uh, $200, $200 million of gross debt and, and, um, and about 100 of, of, uh, of sort of net debt. So you're talking sort of an EV of close to 700 all up, you know, with some provisions. Um, and, uh, you know, last year, you know, they made sort of circa $150 million of revenue. Um, you know, we think that they'll continue to do that because most of their, you know, their, as I said, their, their revenue is contracted. It's, it's via a, a GSA. Um, and then on the EBIT side, um, you know, historically it's, it's sort of between um, you know, 20 and 50, but we think that's moving up to sort of more like to sort of 70 million or so this, this financial year. In a corporate sense, like they'd have the ability with that sort of balance sheet to to move on some, some Bolton acquisition if they want it, or, or, or do you see Cooper as more being a potential ac- acquisition of a, of a larger player? I think it's, they're more likely to be a target, and uh, yeah, their balance sheet is, it's not, it's not stretched, but you know, it's, not, it's not a huge amount of headroom. Don't forget they've got to pay off that at 200, um, you know, because it's, it's secured against the reserves of uh, sole gas, and so, um, you know, there's there's a, a pay down profile there, um, which should suck up most of their free cash flow in the in the, in the short to medium term, um, and so if they were to do any acquisitions, it's more likely to be um, strategic in a sense that they may acquire um, you know the the Orbost uh, plant from APA for instance for you know maybe maybe a couple hundred million dollars, and, and that'll have to be funded via an equity issuance I suspect, uh, probably a rights issue, um, given you know given the size of the market cap. Um, you know that's that's an interesting deal. Um, I think it could be digressing a little bit here, but it could be accretive that particular deal, um, given they're paying APA, you know, call it eighty million dollars a year um, to to process the gas, and you know, Cooper is trading on ten times. You know, making a making a three times acquisition, you know, should be accretive. So let's see um, whether it happens or not. You know. It's, it's likely to happen, I think, in the next few months if, if it does. And who would be the natural acquirer of Cooper? Really, really anyone, because um, particularly, you know, I think, industry with a real strategic angle, like I mentioned Quenos, um, if you want to secure you know, your long-term um, gas supply and you're heavily reliant on, on gas as an input to make your products, then it makes a lot of sense to go and buy um, spare pedicules. And... 
yes, Cooper has most of it is you know it's, it's contracted, but there's still a very large component which is uncontracted from a just a pure pedigree perspective. So you could see a completely non sort of gas player yep. potentially jumping the market just almost as a hedge against rising gas prices and security of supply. Absolutely. Huh. Where do you think those EBIT numbers could get to if you look out? I know you're a six to 12 month down the track sort of investor, but if you do take a slightly longer lens to it, maybe two to three years, where do you think they can grow that EBIT profile number to? So this is the really interesting part and, and it's really the, the crux of the matter about you know why are we are interested in this play. So some quick numbers. Um, at the moment, they're just concentrating on sole gas because that's where the upside is. Um, the Gippsland asset. <coughs> They've contracted to do 47 terajoules per day um, into the domestic gas market. Now, the, the nameplate, nameplate capacity of that operation is more like 68 terajoules a day. So there's a lot of room there. Um, it's not operating at capacity. It hasn't for you know, a variety of reasons, and we can get into those, but that's the upside. All of that margin is, is on, on completely uncontracted. So we're talking about a situation here if you manage to, you know, increase it even to say 60, that's potentially an extra four to five petajoules per year of of gas. Now, at spot prices, uh, you know, that's a lot of money. Mm. Um, you know, at forty dollars a gigajoule, that's we're talking about an extra, you know, potentially two hundred million dollars of revenue um, at very very high margins. Given you know they're all in costs, it's more likely to be you know circa five dollars a gigajoule. So, and what are the constraints to getting that? that side up to capacity? The problems which have been well documented, it's, it's been a, an issue around um, purity of methane, and there's been some sulphur um, sulfur content that's it's higher than expected. Um, they've needed to spend some additional money um, installing some new equipment and, and really improving the plant's um, capacity to process uh, the methane. And we don't have a particular view um, that's high conviction about the likelihood of success on, on that you know, particular operation. But what we do know is, what's the downside here? Because it's, it's almost like an um, infrastructure-like play. It's on you know, 10 times cash flow. It's contracted. Um, you know, it's got a 10-year field life, plus, plus. Um, the upside is, is potentially you know, you're doubling or tripling your, your earnings. Um, who knows on, 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 on the upside? But would I pay 10 times to, to, I guess, have the option to maybe get some of that upside if, if they manage to execute? Absolutely, yes. Um, and then my downside, I think to look at the share price to, you know, it's really range traded from 25 cents to 30 cents um, for a long time. In the meantime, Beach, Santos, Woodside um, have all taken off. And, and so Cooper has really been the underperformer um, for these operational reasons, as we touched on. Uh, and I think that that's where the opportunity is. In terms of the pricing cap that's implemented on gas, could you see a shift in that, or do you think that's pretty much set in stone for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I think I think it's unlikely, um, you know, given the politics of it. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on it. But what I'd say is, you, you don't need uh, you know those those spikes are probably unhelpful, you know, for the market to operate in sort of in general, doesn't doesn't provide confidence for anyone. Um, so I can see the regulators' perspective here. You know, uh, what I'd say is Cooper doesn't need gas at $300 a gigajoule. It just needs gas at you know, even $15 or $20 a gigajoule for this to make um, a lot of economic sense. And more broadly, talk us through, you know, how you're viewing this. There's obviously a huge undersupply of energy in the, the current world market. We know there's a war in Ukraine, which has been devastating. Well, I 
obviously on a humanitarian level, but also on an energy supply level. How are you viewing it in a, in a macro sense? Are you viewing the energy landscape as one that's going to ease when and if that war in Ukraine um, finishes up? Or do you think the energy price rise we're seeing now is really more of a secular trend due to the underinvestment that's been made, particularly in a lot of Western countries, um, around energy of all sorts? I think the latter. Uh, if I, I mean, certainly with gas, it's a case that you know, the Australian East Coast is, is really like an island. Uh, in many respects, it's it's too far from from anything to really uh, you know pipe um, economically. So it's probably important to point out the gas price is different to oil, isn't it? I mean, oil there's a price for oil that's pretty much the same all around the world. Gas prices are quite different. You know, the US gas price is different. The European gas price, as is the Australian gas price, is it worth just pointing out to the viewer just how different those gas prices are around the world? Yeah, I think that's, that's spot on. Um, you know, the Australian price um, tends to be a function of um, the supply on the east coast plus the Asian demand and what they call the LNG net back price, and um, you know that really operates in its own own single market. Um, yeah, in the US, it tends to be you know a bit more stable. It's probably a little bit you know more integrated. Yeah, so I, I'd make that point. It's very different from, from oil, um, which is a globalised, you know, it's either Brent or WTI. Um, and so it's, it's really one of the reasons why Cooper decided to make that strategic refocus um, a while back, you know, seven to ten years ago, to really focus on just the Australian East Coast because they could see this, this coming. It was a supply crunch plus you know, a continuation of the domestic plus the Asian demand story. And what would they have to get their debt profile down before you could see them actually, you know, paying dividends or looking to do a buyback or some sort of capital initiative? Yeah, I think um, that's an interesting question. I uh, haven't banked on that in, in, in my thinking. Um, you know, I, I've really thought about it as I want to buy the equity because it's, it's almost like a free option to almost um, achieving a certain nameplate capacity and then being able to print a lot of earnings from that. Um, but you know you can you can run the numbers if if, if you can if you can generate even between 100 to 150 million of marginal EBIT, um, you know at spot for even a short amount of time, um, then that's obviously highly cash generative. And I'll let you finish in a sec. But if if the energy crisis we're seeing now is due to a more of a secular underinvestment in energy, where are we in that cycle before? That supply comes on and, and the prices ease. Are we, you know, potentially two years into a, a ten-year bull market, or how long do you think this can potentially go on for? Albeit, when the data changes, you'll change your mind. Yeah, the, it, it's the latter. But I'd make the point that I, I can't see it immediately ceasing. That the problem is here, and it has been for a long time. Um, if you look at the projects that are coming online, I mean, Santos has got Arcadia. Um, there's a couple of projects in CSG, CSG projects in Queensland that may or may not come on, come on in the next sort of five years or so. It's, there's no one big project which mm. is going to solve the supply uh, concerns. And they're such slow-moving projects. Even if there, there was a, a new project that was brilliant, it'd be 10 years if it would have just got discovered before it could, could actually sort out supply. Yeah, that's spot on. So I think what could change, it's probably worth um, no, you know, noting that if there was a regulatory shift, um, almost a political shift, which I don't think will happen um, you know, at the moment in this climate, but if, if, there, if there was, you know, at a state level, if you had suddenly a, a big push for deregulation in New South Wales, that could unlock um, you know, many of the Santos assets 
um, and they could suddenly be developed within you know three to five years but you're still going to have a lag um, you know there's capex and there's FID to go through and um, so I, I don't see this changing in, in the in the medium term and the political landscape if you looked at the federal election results we look at, you know in terms of how the teals went and the greens went it doesn't seem like there's voter appetite for that shift currently it seems prices would have to be even significantly higher from here before people a majority of people came around to that idea is that fair I think that's right. Um, you know, coal's probably worn a lot of the, the scorn here, um, but, but gas is certainly still, um, you know, in in the in the sort of targeted. Um, so, yeah, my perspective would be, you know, nationally or at state level, it doesn't seem to be the political appetite to to reduce prices um, in the medium term, unless uh, the other sort of political thing we could do as a country would be to. Uh, insists that the the GLNG, um, you know, Gladstone plants and APLNG, uh, QCLNG, uh, shift their their I guess um, ligules uh, from Asia back into the domestic market, mm. and you know that would just send, in my opinion, completely the wrong message for Australia because it would undermine uh, the confidence. Now keep in mind these projects are billions of dollars. And we haven't had the capital to fund them ourselves historically, right. have we? Yep. So, so we would we would take a, in my opinion, a, a national um, you know hit in terms of quality of rule of law and, and confidence in investment um, if if we decided to go down that track and and uh, for political reasons, which would be to you know shift some of the export market back domestically. But you know it's it's a it's a lose lose situation here because either you're going to have heat domestically, um, higher gas prices, um, you know retailers uh, consumers suffer, businesses suffer. Um, yeah, that's that's politically unpalatable as well. So, I thought, I thought you'd be a chance politically to get handouts for low-income earners or for businesses that are heavy gas users. As step one, could you see that as being a logical step politically, which in terms of, of companies like Cooper would just end up being a boom? Yeah, possibly, possibly. Because uh, it's not going to stop supply. Mm. You're still you're helping out some of the people who are being crunched. You're still buying votes, mm. but you're not crunching actual supply which is going to make the, the situation even worse yeah there's many ways you could do it you could also have a lower cap for instance you know instead of 40 you know you could, you could even have a lower cap there um, for businesses but there are what ifs, what ifs i guess you've got enough there's, there's enough low-hanging fruit to make it an attractive opportunity in the interim so um that's a good one thanks very much it wasn't my radar so it's good to get it uh, get some exposure to it and we'll uh we'll put on the watch list for sure thanks tom thanks chris this episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest. Nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. Please do your own research and seek out your own financial advisor before committing any capital to these markets.